0: That's always been a sweet song, sweet hour of prayer. All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me this morning to the 10th chapter of John. The Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospel of John, and I want to read for your hearing beginning with verse 22 through verse number 30. And it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of the Dedication, and it was winter. And this is one of those places where I've read this so many, many times, but I didn't know it was wintertime. But the Holy Spirit deemed it necessary to remind us that when they met, it was winter. It was winter. Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not the works that I do, or rather you believe not the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because you're not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my father's or out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. The text that I would like to call to your attention is verse number 28. It has been quoted many, many times. And I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I would like to speak to you this morning on the subject of the surety of eternal life. The surety of eternal life. This little word, surety, in the English has a twofold meaning. First of all, it means safe. It means certain. It means guaranteed. That's what the word sure itself means. But there's a second meaning, one making himself responsible for another's debt, as in the case of a bondsman. One of the most glorious teachings in the Bible, and this is my opinion, One of the most glorious teachings in the Bible is that of eternal life. From the time you are born and come into this world, we start trying to stay alive. Even when we're children and babies, we have parents who speak for us and warn us as we grow up. There are some things you don't do and there are some things that you exercise caution in doing. Trying to get us to see the importance of staying alive. This word eternal means without end. It is sometimes called everlasting life or the synonym would be eternal life. Thus it means eternal life living forever. What a joyful prospect. Eternal life, living forever. One of the most tragic teachings in the Bible is that of eternal death. Eternal death. Eternal death means dying forever. What a terrible thought. Through the term eternal death, though it's not in the Bible, there are three other terms in the Bible that speak of the same thing. You won't find the terminology eternal death per se in the Bible, but there are three other terms that speak of the same thing. One is called eternal damnation. Eternal damnation. That's found in Mark 3, verse 29. The Lord Jesus said, He that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. It is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 6 verse number 2. It is called their eternal judgment. It's not just a judgment for a while. It is a judgment that lasts forever and ever and ever. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 2, Paul, if he's the writer of the book of Hebrews, of which I do not believe he is, but that's beside the point. The writer of the book of Hebrews is talking about things that God's people preach and practice. He says, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. The third term is used in place of eternal death, but it means the same thing. It's called eternal fire. Eternal fire. And Brother Field has been teaching about this eternal fire in the book of Jude as he teaches every Wednesday night. In the seventh verse of that one chapter book, it says this, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Can you fathom that? Can you fathom that when I was a small child being raised in a modest home in Roxborough, North Carolina for the first 20 years of my life, when I was a small child, we had a little old wood grate fireplace in every room in the house. And that's the only fire we had was from those small fireplaces. And though I was too young to remember this, I was walking across the hearthway And I stumbled as a small child and I fell and grabbed hold of the grate with my hand. And I still bear in my hand the scar from that fall. He's not talking about burning for a little bit of time here. Five minutes or maybe 15 minutes or an hour. He's talking about burning forever and ever and ever. Our text speaks of one of the greatest doctrines of grace, namely the doctrine of eternal security. The eternal security of believers is not believed by all professing Christians. As a matter of fact, it is believed only by a few when you compare it to the multiplied many different denominations that we have. Every major denomination, practically, practically, every major denomination... Believes in losing your salvation. They believe you can be saved one minute and lost the next minute. They believe if you do anything wrong that God disowns you and that relationship has been broken. Baptists are not by themselves, but they are one of the largest groups of people who believe that whenever God saves a man, he saves him forever. And it is called eternal salvation. The text that we read for you in verse number 28, where the Bible says this I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. What is there about that verse that's hard for you to understand? It's pretty plain, isn't it? It doesn't need a commentary. It just needs believing. Believing. It says exactly what it means, and it means exactly what it says I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. I believe we all know people who used to shine, but they don't shine too much anymore. We know of people who made a profession of faith, they looked pretty good for a while. But then because something happened, they fell by the wayside. It is not ours to question the lives of other people. However, it is our responsibility to believe what God says. And that's where we are this morning. Look how simple and yet profound this text is. Now, not all texts in the Bible are that way. There are some texts in the Bible I come away from just scratching my head. To me, one of the most profound and difficult subjects in the Bible is the Holy Trinity of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I know there's some that have figured that out, but I'm still figuring. I believe it with all my heart. One God manifesting himself in three different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. However, let's look at this text today. Look how simple and yet profound it is. I give unto them eternal life, and they'll never perish. I like to emphasize every word that is in that text. He says, I give unto them eternal life. Eternal life. What is being given in our text? Eternal life. That's far greater than the jackpot. It's far greater than the lottery. It's far greater than having $5,000 a week for the rest of your life. Eternal life supersedes anything that the normal and natural man can think of. This refers to the quality of life that we have in Jesus Christ. It has infinite duration. It is perpetual. It is endless. It is timeless. It is used 42 times in the Bible. Eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. I give unto them eternal life. I give unto them eternal life. Not to everybody, but I give unto them eternal life. To whom is this given? He's not talking about the nominal church member. The recipients of which he speaks are described in verse number 27. What does number 27 say? My sheep, are you there? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. God knows his sheep. Christ died for his sheep. And all of God's sheep will safely be brought in. I give unto them, not to everybody who will let Jesus come into their hearts and save them. No, no. He gives to his sheep eternal life. Precious, precious promise there. Notice, however, if they do not hear and follow, they're not his sheep. That's what it says. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I was reading again that verse over and over in my study. My sheep hear my voice, I know them. I know who they are. You didn't surprise the Lord, my dear friend, when you trusted Christ as your Savior. He planned it all along. You're one of his sheep. When I pastored another church here in Tyler, back in the early 60s. There was a lady in that church. Pardon me the timing on that. Let me bring you up today. Not in that particular church, but in this church, which was... St- it's hard for me to know where I've been in 45, 50 years, folk. A lot of things have happened. Sears and Roebuck moved. Yeah. But this lady and her husband had six little children, just like dee, 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 ti ti dee, dee, ti And they lived in White House. And she had been wanting to talk to me, and she said, could I bring my family? I said, by all means. And when she came in the door, I counted them, one, two, three, four, five. I said, I thought you had six kids. She said, oh, my goodness, I left out and went home. The Lord won't leave you at home. He knows who his sheep are. By the way, she left and she said, I'll be back in about 35, 40 minutes. Drove back to White House and got up the straggler, little bitty old toe-headed boy, and brought him to church. Then she had all the sheep. Isn't it good to be known of the Lord? You not only know him, but he knows you. Know you are given to them. These are they who are given to the Son by the Father. In verse 29, My Father which gave them me. How did the sheep become the property of Christ? How is it that that was brought about? My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand, he concludes it by saying, I and my Father are one. He does not mean by that, the Father and I are one person. That the Father is me and I'm the Father. No, the Scripture is careful to distinguish Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But one in purpose. They belong to the Father. The Father had them in His hand. And he holds the hand of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're in the Savior's hand. And the two verses distinguish between the hand of Christ and the hand of God the Father. We have eternal salvation. It is eternal. No man can take them out of my Father's hand. And then I give unto them eternal life. I give. I give unto them eternal life. How much does it cost? It is a gift. It is in no way a matter of debt or reward. It is never earned or is it probated. It's an unconditional gift of God's grace. And I say unconditional because it was given before you were ever born. And God directed it to you in your heart, in your direction. And finally, I give unto them eternal life. I give it. I give unto them eternal life. Who is it that gives? What is the surety of eternal life? How do we know that it's real? How do we know it's guaranteed? How do we know God really meant what we think he meant when he says eternal life? Because Jesus Christ is called our surety. That's found in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22. God's covenant of grace which was brought into being before the worlds were ever established. His covenant of grace to save sinners is ratified and is guaranteed by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Salvation by grace will always be effectual by the blood of Christ for the elect. It is not on. Based upon what we do, our good works, anything or any merit of our own. It's based on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and it works. This is how people are saved. Christ is the guarantee of our salvation. He never rescinds. It is irrevocable. Romans eleven twenty nine says, For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He won't take it back. He said, Well, my land, if he only knew what I've been doing, he does. Rest assured he does. But marvelous grace of our loving Lord to rise above it being eternal. There are many reasons why the surety of eternal life will stand. That's the message this morning. I want to give you several reasons why, and the reason I didn't give you the number of reasons is because when I start out, you might say, well, he's already gone through 13 of them already. How many did he say he was going to have to go through this morning? No, I'll just start in on this. Many reasons why the surety of eternal life will stand. Number one, the promise of God cannot be broken. Now men say things many times they do not mean. Or they make promises that they do not keep, but not God the Father. When God gives something, when God says something, you can put it down He'll never retract it. The promises of God cannot be broken. I like that little verse in John chapter 10, verse 35. It says the scripture cannot be broken. You cannot find one place where God said something and took it all back. Whatever God says, whatever God promises, God does. If God promises they shall never perish, then you can put it down. They shall perish. Never perish. Well, now, what's this? suppose this old boy goes out here and does. I don't care what he does. First of all, by the fact that he's a creature, a new creature in Christ and has a new divine nature, a partaker of God. He's going to be careful about what he does. If he's not careful about what he does, he probably doesn't know the Lord to start off with. But what I'm saying is this, they'll never perish. 1 Kings eight fifty six. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest Unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promises which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. He promised them deliverance from Egypt, and he carried it out. He promised them by taking them in by the hand of Joshua into the land of Canaan, just exactly as he promised. I think about on crucifixion day, the day that Christ died, the Bible talks about the legs of the two thieves, one on either side, were broken, but not the legs of Christ. They got ready to break his legs and they refrained from that. Why did they not break his legs as well as the legs of the two thieves, one on either side of him? Because the Bible says that the scripture... Might be fulfilled. I tell you, I believe that so strongly. I believe if even they had tried to, God would have sent a bolt of lightning to prevent it if that was necessary. It could never have happened that a bone of his body would be broken. Why is that so? Because the scripture said it. The scripture said it. Psalm 34, verse number 20. I love this. He keepeth all his bones. Speaking of Christ, not one of them is broken. In Exodus 12:46 in one house shall it that is shall the lamb be eaten, thou shalt not carry forth of the flesh abroad out of a house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. In that Passover selection of a lamb, they had to be very careful that a bone could not be broken. Why? Because that lamb was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ and it was fulfilled when he died on Calvary. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Christ, our Passover, is sacrifice for us. We're going to be calling that to your memory this coming Sunday morning, this next Sunday morning, Easter, by observing the Lord's supper table, the bread is his body and the cup is his blood that was shed for us. So the promise of God cannot be broken. If God said he's going to do this, he'll do it. has already done it, is doing it, and will forever and eternity do it. Second of all, I believe this text is absolutely true in every sense of the word because the purpose of God cannot be frustrated. Have you ever thought about the many things that God Almighty, the Creator, is involved in? For instance, the sun and the moon, that's enough to stagger the imagination... But he handled all the stars and gave each star a name. But God's promises cannot be frustrated. God doesn't get mixed up. God doesn't say, well, I may have not included everybody. Let me think this thing over again. The purpose of God cannot be frustrated. Look at John. You're in that gospel. Chapter number 6, verses 37 through 40. John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. All that the Father giveth me. You know, (laughs) if a person just believed what the Bible said, really, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. The other side of that is this. If they don't come to Christ, they weren't given to the Son by the Father. Do you see that? And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but I came down to do the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing but raise them up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have eternal life. That's not possibly he might or possibly he may not. It's saying that he will, may. Permission-wise, have eternal life. God will approve of his salvation for that individual. And believeth on him, may have eternal life or everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. And in John chapter 10, back to our text, but verse especially 16, the Lord said, "Another sheep... Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. What was his foal? Israel. But he says at this particular juncture, there are some other sheep. I mean, Israel's not the only folk going to heaven. God said I've got some other sheep. Other sheep. And he calls them that other thing. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also, watch it, I must bring. They shall hear my voice. There shall be one fold. There shall be one shepherd. He cannot be frustrated. The Lord is not trying to save anybody. (laughs) He's not trying to find lost sheep. He will find all he looks for. And all that he finds, he will safely bring in. I believe in eternal life. The surety of eternal life. The absolute certainty of it. In Romans eight twenty-eight through 30, listen to this. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And how much surety would you ask for? Whom he did predestinate, he called them. And those whom he called, he justified them. And those whom he justified, he will also glorify. So, God's eternal gift and his promises of eternal salvation are not frustrated. Not frustrated. The father elected a certain number to be saved. Amen. Amen. The son died for each one the father elected. Amen. And the Holy Spirit regenerated and draws each of the elect to Christ. I have a question. What happens if one of these fell out of the number? Have you ever thought about that? Let's just suppose this infinite God made one error and one of them concerning one of his sheep just simply fell out of the number. They're no longer there. It would create, if that could happen, which is a total absurd impossibility, it would create mass confusion within the Godhead, would it not? How many people went into the ark? Eight. How many people came out of the ark? Eight. The same number that went in are the same ones that came out. So it is with all of God's elect. He's not frustrated. Thirdly, the atonement of Christ for the sinner cannot be repealed. The atonement for Christ, of Christ for the sinner, cannot be repealed. In the book of Isaiah chapter 53 verses 10 and 11. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he'll prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." Whose iniquities? Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The atonement of Christ for the sinner cannot be repealed. If Christ actually paid for all the sins of the sinner. Past, present, and future. Then what is it the sinner does? that makes the Son of God take it all back. I'm waiting. If the Lord died to save us from all of our sins, past, present, and future, and it was an effectual atonement, then what would we have to do to make God take it all back? If a child of God were to lose his salvation, there would be a defect in the atonement. If a debt is paid in full, how can we ever need to pay it again? If it's paid, it's paid. Number four, the grace of God upon the elected sinner cannot be stopped. This progress from the time a person comes to know Christ as Savior until the day he dies and is taken to heaven... There'll never be a time when God's grace is stopped and there's a transaction that takes place in between. Daniel 4:35 All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and nobody can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? And oh, that precious verse in Philippians 1, verse number 6. And I read that one for you in the scripture reference. The Bible says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Who's going to perform it? The Lord is. How long? Until the day of Jesus Christ. So the grace of God upon the elected sinner cannot be stopped. It is God who begins our salvation. It is God who keeps it going. It is God who will consummate and finish our salvation. We did nothing to be saved and we can surely do nothing to lose our salvation. Number five, the intercessory work of Christ for the believer cannot be defeated. And we spent about six weeks or seven weeks or more on the 17th chapter of John. And you can read those verses. And I'll not have time to rehash them or reteach them. But in John seventeen nine through 11 and verses 15 through number 20. Christ is interceding for his people from the day they're saved until the day they're taken to be with the Lord. He is in heaven today at the Father's right hand, interceding for your sins and my sins because we still sin even though we've been saved by the grace of God. We do things we ought not to do. He intercedes for us, Father. They're under the blood. And the blood's paid for it. And this goes on and on and on. The scripture is so very plain there. In 1 John 2, 1 through 2, My little children, these things write unto you that we sin not. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I've made this statement many times and I call upon you as a congregation and I have called upon so many congregations to supply me with this request. And nobody has done that yet. And the request simply is this my dear friends. There's not one prayer the Lord prayed. That went unanswered by the Father. Name me one prayer. Just one. That Jesus Christ the Son of God prayed. And the Father said "Up, oh, nothing doing. The Father always answered every prayer that he prayed. And he said in John 17, I don't pray for the world, but I pray for them that the Father has given me. Number six, the seal of the Holy Spirit cannot be broken. In Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also after that you believed you were sealed, S-E-A-L-E-D, sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. And it is coupled with Ephesians 4.30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of re- how long we seal for preacher until the day of our redemption that is the redemption of our body that's how long we be sealed for have you noticed in revelation 20 verse number 3 the lord takes the devil puts him in the bottomless pit and puts a seal on him and he couldn't do anything for 1000 years because of the seal And when a child of God is saved, God puts the seal of the Holy Spirit on that transaction. And we're sealed until the day of our redemption. I don't know who the author is, but I like what he had to say. Firm as the earth, the gospel stands. My Lord, my hope, my trust. If I am found in Jesus' hands, my soul can never be lost His honor is engaged to save the meanest of His sheep. All that His heavenly Father gave, His hands securely keep. Nor death nor hell shall ever remove His favorites from His breast. In the dear bosom of His love, they must forever rest." Aren't you glad, dear Christian, that you can go to bed tonight? I don't care whether you have a good day or a bad day. It matters not. You can put your head on your pillow and know this. If you've been saved by God's grace, you are saved forever and forever and forever. And finally, the birth by the Holy Spirit cannot be reversed. Nicodemus was a smart man, but he was dumb as nails concerning some other things. Take a moment to turn to John chapter number 3, verses 3 through 4. John 3, verses 3 through 4. We have a moment or two. Let's not rob the scripture of this. In verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now smart Nicodemus got ready for his answer here. Nicodemus said unto him, now how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and come out the second time? Can he do that? Such ignorance. Christ was talking about a whole different thing. He was talking about being born again of the Holy Spirit of God Described by the term wind. The wind bloweth where it listeth. You hear the sound thereof. You cannot tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. Physical birth gives you physical life, spiritual birth gives you spiritual life. Nicodemus, you must be born again. You can have all the physical life there is. But without Christ you go to hell, you must be born of the Holy Spirit. And the birth by the Holy Spirit cannot be reversed. Think about it. Can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? No, he cannot. Neither can he or anybody else. It's an impossibility. We're talking about being born by the Holy Spirit. Eternal life is for believers only. One must repent of his sins. I believe that. Christ made that clear. Except a man repent of his sins, he'll likewise perish in Luke's gospel. He must also trust Christ as his Savior. I believe he will trust Christ as his Savior when the Holy Spirit moves upon his heart and quickens him and makes him a new creature in Christ. Eternal life is for believers only. Let me close with this reference in 1 John chapter 5 verses 11 through 13. I don't don't even have to preach on it, boy. It's so plain. This is the record. Here it is. This is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life. This life is in His Son. He that hath the Son of God hath life. He that hath not the Son of God, and this includes movie stars, He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I do not recall since the day God saved me. You say, when was it? I don't know. I doubt that you know. You say, well, I I never will forget the time and the place. What time and what place? There had to be a time. There had to be a place. But I tell you, when you were saved is when the Holy Spirit moved in and quickened you. That's a secret thing, my dear friends. You became a child of God. But since that day, I began to realize I belong to Christ. Dear friends, I've never never doubted that I belong to Christ. There have been some things that I as a Christian have done I wished I had not done but not to the extent that I believe that God kicked me out because of it because he said so clearly I've given to them eternal life and they'll never perish. That's what I'm holding on to. That's what I'm holding on to. Jesus Christ is the surety He's the surety of our eternal life. Let's stand, please, for prayer.